Father in heaven, we want to thank you for uh, another day today. Thank you for camp meeting and this opportunity to be in a place like this and take advantage of all these different seminars. And especially today, we want to talk about elders' responsibilities and the task that lies before uh, the leaders of the church. And we pray that you will bless what we do today. May it be to your honor and glory. May your Holy Spirit be present. In Jesus' name, amen. You have a little booklet like this, a little um, folder, and uh, today's training is already in there, and if you take that out, it will be a place for you to take notes. I haven't given you any additional note paper, because if you take more notes than what's on this page here, um, you're going to be saying more than I say, but that's okay. <laughs> but anyway, here's the, here's the information for you and uh, for you to be able to take notes. I encourage you to put your name on it so that it doesn't get mixed up with somebody else's. And uh, sometimes people leave things behind, and that way I make sure it gets back to the right person. I'll have another handout for you tomorrow for tomorrow's class. This is a two-class uh, seminar presentation uh, for leaders in the church who are elders. But let me also explain to you that I am training for elders today and tomorrow, deacons on Wednesday and Thursday. You need to know what deacons are supposed to do because you are, as you will see, especially tomorrow's class, you are responsible for the other leaders in the church. And if you don't know what they do, you can't help lead them. And one of the things that they do is participate with the elders in things like visitation and the like. There's a folder right there for you. And uh, so this is an important part of it. It's sort of by accident that the deacons class follows this, and it's sort of by design. Because I can't do everything all at once. I used to do separate classes and for a longer period of time but I am doing this sequence and I hope it will be helpful to you to know what deacons do along the way. And then on Friday, we have a leadership class dealing with current issues in the church and how to handle issues that sometimes bring conflict or confusion and, and the like. And let me tell you, you are facing this today, whether you know it or not. And I could give you an illustration of that, but I'll save that for, for later, because it's happening in our churches on a regular basis, and these are very difficult times in which we live, but not unexpected, because the Bible said it would be like this. So today's training is going to be fundamental. It's going to be basic. Now, how many of you are brand new elders, never been an elder before, and have no clue? No, don't ask that last part. <laughs> but you've never been an elder before, and you're new to, new to being an elder now, Okay. All right. How many of you have been an elder before but never taken training before? Okay. How many of you have taken my training in particular before? I almost ought to ask you what you're doing here, but <laughs> I won't do that. We always benefit from, from training. And even though sometimes uh, what I do here in these first uh, couple of classes is repetition, we always learn from repetition and we always learn how to do our work better. The material that I'm using today comes uh, to us out of the Elder's Handbook. The Elder's Handbook. You can purchase this. How many of you do not have an Elder's Handbook? Okay. The Elder's Handbook is available at the ABC. You can get a copy of the handbook, and I'm taking this material out of the Elder's Handbook as a, a basic fundamental text. Elders should have an elder's handbook, and they should have an elder's manual. I assume they have a Bible <laughs> and have access to the spirit of prophecy, all right? But those other two tools are very important in your work as elders in the church. You need the elder's handbook, which is a blue book, and I really ought to have that in the, in the notes. Sorry that I don't. It's the elder's handbook. And it's the church manual. You need the latest church manual. Now, we are in 2019. In 2020, General Conference will be meeting in Indianapolis in the Lake Union, coincidentally. And uh, when they meet there, they will make changes to the church manual. 
Did you hear what I said? They will make changes to the church manual. It may be that they put an and here where there was a, a but before or <laughs> who knows, but they will make changes to the church manual. Usually they are more substantial than that and they can be very substantial, those changes. Every five years, the church manual changes. You should get a new copy every time so that you're up to date on what happens, especially in relationship to substantial changes. The church manual is changed in session, uh, and uh, that will be 2020 next year. It usually takes about a year before they get the new uh, edition out. So I just want you to be aware of that process. So... Uh, Michigan Conference is partnering with the General Conference Ministerial Association in providing this material today and doing it, and uh, I'm grateful for it. I'm going to start with the elders' call and qualification. Many times when you are asked to be an elder from your local church, the nominating committee, especially at the first time, the nominating committee meets together and they uh, go through their routine. They're looking, we need an elder. We need an elder. We need more elders. We need five elders, whatever. They go through and they start looking at the list of qualified people. They look for even people sometimes that aren't qualified. <laughs> they start getting desperate. They need people to lead. Then they call you up on the phone and they say, we need you to serve as an elder. Would you would be willing to serve as an elder? Well, what does an elder do? Well, they get up on the platform on Sabbath morning and they have a morning prayer and read the scripture. That's what an elder does. Well, are there any qualifications? We wouldn't be calling you if you weren't qualified. I mean, you know, sometimes that's the nominating committee process and it shouldn't be that way. It should be a very spiritual process, and I'm going to tell you many nominating committees do that, so I don't want to be misunderstood. But it should be a very spiritual process. They should be looking for spiritually qualified people. They should be looking for people who are willing to put in the time necessary, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well, because you need to be able to know what your responsibilities are. But the most important thing that I can tell you is that you're called by God. God calls an elder to be in the position of responsibility in leading the church. The call to be an elder is a call from God. The nominating committee, if they're doing spiritual work, are praying and asking God to lead. And I believe most committees do exactly that. They understand their responsibility, their spiritual responsibility, and they understand that the church is a spiritual entity, and they understand that the key leaders in the church are spiritual leaders. Now, sometimes we have fallen back on some things, like we decide who's qualified, not by the spiritual qualifications, but by what they may... Well, we'll talk even about that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll come back to that. Elders who realize their calling comes first from God will appreciate the importance and seriousness of their leadership responsibility. That's why I take the time today to remind you of the qualifications because this is a serious leadership responsibility. If you think that you're only being asked to serve by asking uh, people, uh, calling for the offering on Sabbath morning, by reading the scripture reading or having a prayer on Sabbath morning, and that's really all you do. You don't need to be ordained to do that. But you do need to be ordained to carry out the work that God has called an elder to do. You're elected by the congregation, and it shouldn't be because you hold some position of importance in the community, or because they have been, an individual has been successful in business, or are wealthy. Unfortunately, sometimes that's exactly the way it's done, but it shouldn't be that way. They should be chosen first for their spiritual qualifications. You were chosen by God, not because you're wealthy or because you're this or that, but because you have been asked to be a servant of God and to represent Him in that local church. You have no official position or authority in the church unless you've been elected by the congregation. 
The reason that is uh, important is because you are uh, appointed by the local congregation to be an elder. If it's the first time that you are chosen to be an elder in your life, you must be ordained for that. But you are ordained for life. But you are not ordained for life to that local church's position. Did you catch what I said? What that means is that you are not uh, always appointed to be an elder. You might not be appointed next year. You don't lose your ordination. Your ordination is good for life as long as you don't wander away from the Lord or do something that causes your ordination to be uh, revoked, which would be your church membership as well. Uh, but you are not appointed to life to that local church. Or if you move to another area, you do not automatically become an elder in that church. You are an elder in that church because you are elected to that position whenever the nominating committee meets. If they choose not to choose you, don't take it personally. It's very hard to do that. I know it's very hard to do that. But they have a right to make a change. And you know, if you happen to be in a church where there are 45 qualified elders and they only need five, then 40 qualified people are not going to be elders, right? So usually it's not that way, especially in Michigan. And, uh, but at any rate, you understand my point, and that's, I just want to be able to make that, uh, that point clear. Um, you are an individual who's highly respected. In the Bible, they were highly respected individuals. And they are the ones who are giving leadership in prayer and anointing the sick and caring for those kinds of needs. In the New Testament, they carried significant leadership and administrative responsibilities. The work moved forward. Catch this. The work moved forward in the New Testament, not because they were just sitting around and the Spirit of God did all the work and then they just reaped the fruits. The leadership of the church was led by the Spirit of God to activity and they actually went out and did the work. They orchestrated it. They organized it. They recognized problems. They solved problems. When they had problems they needed to meet together to solve, they even traveled all the way to Jerusalem in order to be able to solve those problems. They were the individuals who were responsible for the work. The work in the New Testament went forward because people like Paul and Peter and James and John and the rest of them went out and spread the word of God. God is calling the same thing, calling us to do the same thing today. They were shepherds and overseers and examples of the work that needed to be done and uh, to the people there. Jesus said to Peter, shepherd my sheep. So your job description begins with a spiritual leadership responsibility. You should be respected by your congregation. That is the reason they have chosen you. Respected not in the sense that they're going to bow down to you, but respect, which you don't want them to do, respected in the sense that you are uh, recognized as an individual who has leadership ability or willing to learn how to be a leader and respected for the fact that they know you love Jesus and that you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be able to speak well. This makes a lot of elders nervous. If you've never preached before and you're called upon to be an elder, you know, it was all right if you were asked to do the scripture reading and you were asked to do this or that. But to speak and be the preacher sometimes makes people really nervous. But that's something that you can learn. Trust me, you can learn it. I did. I didn't wake up one day, you know, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is I heard preaching from the time I was a little baby, and I mean that literally. My father was an evangelist, and I had people tell me stories about how when I was a little boy in a bassinet or whatever you want to call it, and I would go down into the pulpit while my dad preached. So I learned to preach at an early age. No, I heard him preach. 
But when it came to me having to preach, I was terrified. I once told my dad after taking a, while I was taking a speech class, I said, you know, they made me do two or three minute speeches and I thought I was going to die doing that. Now they want me to do a 10 minute speech. And I said, I don't know how that's even possible. Now you can't get me to be quiet, all right? So the Lord has a way of taking us and changing us and leading us. There is a notebook uh, back here somewhere, so I want you to know where, where it's at. Uh, one of the leadership issues and responsibilities is having consecrated lives. You and I are consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're set aside for a very spiritual work and have spiritual leadership ability. I want you to understand that spiritual leadership ability is not necessarily the same as just leadership ability. One can be translated into the other, but if you don't have that consecrated life, it's hard to be a spiritual leader because you try to be a leader, but not a spiritual leader as an elder, you will find you will be very frustrated because God has called you to do something else. You have the general oversight of the church with the local pastor. I hope you're catching that. Oversight of the church. Most elders don't realize today we have fallen into the trap of the pastor's the pastor and the pastor does all the work. And the elders simply do what they're told and they don't do much. No, the elders are really the assistant pastors of the local church. No, they're not paid. That's not their calling and the purpose for being an elder. But they have the responsibility for the future of that congregation. If that church is going to be alive and thrive over the next five to ten years, it's going to be because the elders did that work of oversight and moving the work forward. So, keeping an oversight and a watchful eye on the church watching over the activity of the church and the department of the church, departments of the church and the like, is the responsibility. Now, we're going to go more into detail tomorrow in relationship to the working uh, of the elder in overseeing the departments. But we want to make sure that you realize that this is your responsibility. If the Sabbath school is not going well, you need to change it. You need to know it's not going well, and you need to have the spiritual leadership responsibility on your shoulders enough to know that you need to change it. And you say, what am I supposed to do? Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. You need to be involved in the planning, the staffing, the training, and the guiding of the entire church program. If you go away with nothing else today but understanding the things that we've talked about up to this point you will understand the responsibility to one on either side. If you just pass them there, and you, these uh, sign-in sheets are going to come, and if you would just sign uh, in on there, I'd appreciate that. If you need a pen, just, uh, Jim, if you just put that uh, pen with that, I'd appreciate that, okay? Yeah, you can keep it. You can get it afterwards. How's that? <laughs> I'm happy to share it with you, by the way. Thank you. Yep. So be involved in planning, staffing, training, guiding of the entire church program. Do you understand really what I'm trying to communicate? The program of the church is on your shoulders. That's why you have to be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to be committed to Him. Now, I warn people who come into this training class, especially if it's the first time you've sat in an elders training class like this or with me, I try to warn you. Now, I'm going to overwhelm you because all I'm going to do is tell you what you're supposed to do. I'm simply quoting the church manual and the elders handbook and the word of God. That's all I'm doing. But if you don't understand that when you came in here, which is probably why you came, you wanted to know, if you didn't understand that when you came in, you're going to come to a point where you say, wow, I can't believe I'm supposed to do all of this. As a matter of fact, I didn't sign up for this. 
And so as soon as I get back to the church or sooner, I'm resigning. All right? Don't do that. Understand that you start where you are and you move on step by step to where God wants you to be. You will never be the perfect elder. You will never have the perfect church. But you will have the opportunity to move God's work one step at a time. I'm going to tell you, I get frustrated as, a, as a, an administrator of the, church, of the church in the conference office. Now, I'm not the, one of the administrators of the three who, who the president, the secretary, and the treasurer, but I have an administration role in the church. And I get frustrated because I can't get everything done and everything accomplished I'd like to get accomplished. But one step at a time, over time, adds up. And that's really what you're trying to do, is take the steps necessary. Planning, staffing, training, and guiding the entire church program. That means you work closely with the pastor in this process, along with the pastor. Please notice this, along with the pastor. Now, along with that, I want to say this. God's work needs to be finished. Do you believe that? Jesus is coming again. The time will come when we will enter a time of trouble where you may be the leader of the church, you may even be the pastor of the church. You yourself might wind up where pastors are likely to wind up. And that is out of circulation because God wants and needs leaders, but Satan doesn't want leaders to be able to do the work. So he tries to find ways to take them out so that they can't be there. But if there's no pastor in your church, for any reason, you are the pastor of that church. You have to lead that congregation. You have to see that God's church continues to move forward. We need to be able to also help our pastors to be able to do the work of advancing the work outside of the local church. Your church may be able to grow and continue to move ahead. It may be, though, that the pastor needs to move to another area and to develop a a new congregation. You can still function. You can still do all the work that needs to be done. You can still move your church into the community and winning souls even without the pastor being there because you are the assistant pastor or one of the assistant pastors in the congregation helping to move God's work. General oversight of the congregation includes demonstrating skills and worship leadership. Gentlemen, um, and lady, sometimes I go to churches. It might be even your church. I don't know. I'm not trying to pick on any church. I'm not speaking of any right now. But sometimes I go to church. And on Sabbath morning, the elder doesn't know what's happening that morning. There's no bulletin. I know you want to say that's the pastor's responsibility. Okay? I know you want to say that. But there's no bulletin. The elder doesn't know what's going to happen and basically wings it from beginning to end the whole time. And that tends to be the worship service and the worship experience. That's not the way God wants it to be. The priests had a very carefully orchestrated ministry in the temple. All right, it's not the temple, but it is this house of God where people are coming to worship Him. And it should be carefully organized and carefully orchestrated and carried out. And uh, so you need skills in that, and that's part of it. I can't teach all of those skills today. This is a basic course of introduction to the tasks and with some instruction about how to do it along the way. At the pastor's request or in his absence, the pastor, the elder serves as the chair of the board and even the chair at business meetings. Now, most of the time, that doesn't need to happen. But you have the authority if you're the head elder of the church. How many of you head elders? Okay? If you're the head elder of the church, you have the authority to lead out a board meeting or to chair a business meeting in the absence of the pastor. Sometimes there's a critical business meeting coming up that needs to take place, and the pastor's called away on a family emergency. That business meeting can still happen. If there's something really unusual about that business meeting, you can call the ministerial department, that's me, 
and our associates, and we're willing to help you as well. In Michigan, how many of you are from Michigan Conference? Okay. In Michigan, you can call also the district superintendent in your area, and they could assist you as well if they have enough advance warning. Remember, they're sitting pastors, and they're practicing their work as well, and they may not be able to make your meeting if you call them the night before that you have a critical meeting. But you have backup with people like us or even other pastors in the area. But usually the board is chaired by the pastor. The business meeting is chaired by the pastor as well. The elders have the ability to do that. Elders should be committed to outreach and have a clear vision of the church's mission. I'm going to say this here. I say it a little bit later, but I want to make sure it's clear. You are disciples of Jesus before you become an elder. Yes? Because you're a disciple of Jesus, that means you're already an active soul winner for Jesus. You're involved in reaching out to people and sharing the truths of the Word of God. All of us are called to do that. From the president of the conference through the rest of the Michigan conference, we're all disciples of Jesus. First, before we become president or become elder of the local church. And we should continue that work. You can just set it right there. I think that's fine. Um, pass it all the way back if somebody hasn't signed that in yet. That's thanks. So um, elders should recognize that not only should they have a clear vision of the church's mission, but they also need to be involved in outreach themselves. And the vision for the church's mission is going to grow and increase if you, as an elder, are helping to make that happen in the local church. Another area of responsibility in the work of an elder is the work of nurture. Elders are not only overseers, but shepherds. We often think of the work of a shepherd of nurturing and taking care of the flock. Well, that's really part of the responsibility of the elders in the local church, is making sure that the people are cared for, spiritually especially. But in some cases, that also applies to their physical needs and their caring needs. That's the area, actually, of deacons and deaconesses, but that's why you need to know the responsibilities of the deacons, which we'll talk about on Wednesday and Thursday, so that you can strengthen the work of your deacons and deaconesses in the work they're actually called on to do. They think that they are ordained to take up the offering. Did you know that? That's what they think they're ordained to do. That's not what they're ordained to do. You can take up the offering without being ordained. So you're catching a theme here, right? I told you, you a lot of things you can do that elders think are their main responsibilities that you can do without being ordained. I see it happen in churches all the time. I see little kids get up and read the scripture. They're not ordained. Okay? So the, you get my point. I'll keep going. You also need to be involved in preparing new members for baptism. That's part of that outreach process. The path, what really should be happening in the local church, the local church should be growing so rapidly that the pastor can't keep up with all the souls that are studying the Bible and that are developing an interest in God's Word and preparing for baptism, so much so that the pastor, you know, he's got three churches and he can't keep up with all those other ones that are going on. But the elders are out there preparing people for baptism and they come to the pastor at an elders meeting and they say, Pastor, uh, Bob Smith is ready for, uh, for baptism. You might want to just come and uh, have that final uh, go through with him. But I've gone through it all with him and he's already that's what's supposed to happen in the local church that is the way God's work is going to advance that's what God is calling upon us to do provide the special love and nurture that new members need notice you're preparing for people for baptism but you're also making sure that those new members are nurtured into the congregation and that there is special love applied to them Many times we lose new members after a public evangelistic meeting. An evangelist comes in, does an evangelistic meeting. The people, uh, you know, 10 people come into the church and six months later, nine of them are gone. 
And the thing that usually happens at the board meeting is that that evangelist was really good, but evangelism doesn't work because nine of them are gone. The first question I would ask if somebody said that, I would say, so what did you do to make sure those nine people stayed in the church? What do you mean? What did we do? They came to church. That was good, right? Did you visit them? Did you give them Bible studies? Did you continue to disciple them? Did you teach them how to share their faith? Did you teach them how to have a devotional life? What, what's that supposed to mean? That's what we are called upon to do. And that's why they leave the church, because we haven't been doing our full work that God has called upon us to do. Help new members make firm friendships within the church. That's part of that process. In small churches, the elders will take responsibility for almost all of the detailed administration of the church. I hope you caught that. Almost all of the detailed administration of the church. We don't like administration. Pastors, we often talk about it, and we say, what's your favorite part? And they all say, administration. No. No, 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 no. They didn't, they didn't sign up to be a pastor so that they could do administration, printing bulletins and all those kinds of things. They signed up to visit people and win souls and, and encourage the, uh, the sick and pray for the sick and, and minister to people. That's what they signed up for. So you might have the same problem, but somebody's got to do it. And the leadership of the church needs to make sure that's done. But you know what? It doesn't mean you have to do it all. Get other people involved in the administrative responsibilities. Who says you have to print the bulletin? Get somebody else to print it. Now, I see that a lot more today than I saw even 15 or 20 years ago, and I'm glad for that. That's really what needs to happen. In a small church, plan to preach often. Plan to lead out in the worship service, including communion, if requested in an emergency. Most of the time, I'm talking about head elders here when it comes to the communion service, most of the time in the state of Michigan, that's not necessary. Even in an emergency, there's a pastor somewhere around that can be called upon to do that, and you should call at least the ministerial department if there's an emergency. But I would encourage you not to cancel communion service because some emergency came up and your pastor can't be there. There are ways of being able to handle that, and, uh, and including the fact that the head elder can do that. Call and chair the church board or business meeting in the presence at pastor's absence. Organize and participate in the visitation of members. We will talk more about this. But the visitation of members is the responsibility of the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses. And the deacons and the deaconesses. They're all supposed to be involved in the visitation of the church members. That's part of nurture. We'll talk more about that. Oversee the evangelistic plans for the church. Train the congregation in stewardship. You need to be an example. I once did a training for elders in one of my churches many years ago. And one of my elders had grown up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. His father was an elder. His brother was an elder. And uh, we were talking about what needed to happen in terms of getting the word out to the church members about how the tithe was used and so on and forth, so forth. This young man had been in the church all his life. And when we told him that the tithe was not used to pay for the electricity in the building and all those other kinds of things, he said, I didn't know that. We're not teaching our kids. We're not teaching our members. We don't help them to understand stewardship. And by the way, stewardship is more than money. I just made that to make a point today. Give general oversight to church finances. In large churches, there's usually a team of elders with a head elder. A board of elders should be in every church. By the way, if you are a small church and you have only one elder in your church, they, I would encourage you to meet from time to time with the elders of the other churches in your district. Just because you need to be able to coordinate together under the pastor, and you also need camaraderie. You need to encourage each other. You need to pray for each other and doing that work. If there's more than one elder, there should be a board of elders. If there are two or three or four or five or whatever. How many of you are in churches of 50 or less? Okay. Uh, 50 to 100. 100 to 200. 200 plus. 
Okay, all right. We've got a pretty good mix in here. That's really good. I like that. Uh, elders, all elders serve on the church board. I'm not going to take much time to talk about the church organization. I think most of you know that. I'm going to really rush through this because I'm actually a little behind on where I need to be this morning. But God created the church, he put it together, and he organized it. Organization provides strength for the church. If we're not careful, organization can actually become a crutch to us rather than a help. But it is supposed to support the local church. It starts with the family uh, and from the beginning, and then it worked into the nation and into the church. That worked through, and biblically, you know how that all took place. Uh, I hope you do, and I'm not going to try to deal with that today. A church is a group of Christian people. It is a group of people called out from the world, leaning, uh, learning to love God and to work on that particular basis. Make sure that you get a hold of one of our handouts there. That would be great. Absolutely. And also sign up on our sheet when uh, someone will hand it to you. Um, a church is a group of Christians reaching out to the world, inviting others. A church is a place for the healing of the hurts of life. The church has a mission, and that mission is for a group of disciples going out to reach the world, inviting others in. It is also a hospital, a place for healing of the hurts of life, and the house of God, a place where people can come together and worship together. There are many models. I'm not going to go over those right now. I'm going to skip a little bit of that. You can read it in your notes and kind of work through that. God's reasons for organizations, according to Ellen White, is to support the gospel ministry, to carry on the work of preaching in new fields, to protect both churches and the ministry from unworthy members' action, for holding church property, to publish the truth via the printing press. These are some of the reasons for organization Ellen White spoke of and the need for the church to be organized. All of these things build for a stronger work. You can imagine what the work was when there were a few hundred Seventh-day Adventists or not under that name particularly, and then what is needed when there are 21 million Seventh-day Adventists in the world today. You cannot function without organization. There are different forms of organization. Ours is a representative form of organization, not one of the others that is listed here. And we are not congregational. Don't let anybody suck you into a congregational form of organization. That's where the local congregation has all control over everything. And it sounds really good until you actually get into it. Okay? And it's not biblical, by the way. Levels of church organization, there's the local church, the local conference field, the union, which is usually four or five uh, missions or conferences together. Then the general conference comes next with divisions. The North American division is the next level uh, in, the North America, in North America. We have the Lake Union here in Mich Michigan that we're part of, um, or I should say the other way around. Michigan is part of in the Lake Union which is the states surrounding the Great Lakes, and then we're part of the North American Division, which is part of the General Conference. Okay, let's move to delegation a little bit here. Delegation is an important part of the process. You should expect your pastor to be asking you to do something. Right? Now I make, I stop and I pause for a moment to make a point. Because when I was a pastor, I felt guilty about asking people to do things. Like I was supposed to do it all. A pastor should not feel guilty for asking you to do something. You should expect him to. If the pastor doesn't ask you to do something, and you've gone a whole year without him asking you to do something, would you go and complain, please? And if he says, I'm not going to give you anything to do, you call me. Because I need to help him to understand this principle. It's a biblical principle. God worked that way in the organization of Israel. Moses was told by Jethro, you're doing too much work. You need to spread it out. That's what the pastor is trying to do. But you should be doing the same thing with your local church members. They need to be able to get involved as well. We don't need the 20-80 rule to be working. where 20% are doing 80% of the work. We need 100% doing 100% of the work. That's what needs to be happening in the local church. That's what God wants to have happen. Um, 
I'm not going to go into this part so much. The Bible simply had apostles and elders and deacons, and that was the basic method of organization, and I'm just going to pass on from there. Another important part of our organization is the church manual. Some people like to downplay the church manual. They like to get rid of it. Folks, you get rid of the church manual, and you watch what happens to the Michigan Conference in one year. You wait and watch and see what happens to the Lake Union and the North American Division without the church manual. The church manual is a wonderful tool, and it's a spiritual document. If you've never read it, read it, read it. It's amazing what you can find in the church manual. But if we didn't have the church manual, we would be in chaos because there are practical applications. The Word of God did not try to apply to everything out there. But the church manual continually um, adjusts to the needs of the congregation and the, and the needs of the church based upon spiritual issues that may be faced at the time in which you and I are living and applies those so that everybody's clear about how we're going to do that. Like, for example, today, we'll talk about this on Friday. What do you do when the fact that the marijuana is now legal? What do you do with that? Okay? And how you handle that? Well, eventually the church manual has to address some of those kinds of things. And I don't necessarily mean marijuana, but I mean as society changes, we don't change with society, but we learn how to manage what's being thrown at us in ways that are biblical and soundly supported by the spirit of prophecy. It's very necessary. In the work and the organization of the church, if the pastor has not been provided by the conference or the mission, the office of elder ranks the highest and most important in the local church. I don't always like those words, highest and most important. But it does reflect some of the leadership task and responsibility. 25,000 ministers with more than 21 now million Seventh-day Adventist members in 130 plus thousand congregations. That's one minister for every 760 members. So we shouldn't feel cheated. You shouldn't feel cheated. You are being spoiled is absolutely right. Thank you very much. I would like to get that on the recording that that we are spoiling all the churches of the Michigan Conference because they get more than one pastor for 760 members. Thank you. I (laughs) I wanted to make that point. All right. The elder is the church leader. Now, I've already hinted at some of these things, but I want to be a little bit more specific right now. You need to realize that as a leader, you need to be involved in planning. Planning means you are working to bring about plans that will move your church forward. If your church is 20 members today, you don't want it to be 20 members tomorrow. Folks, we have a crisis in the Michigan Conference and in most conferences in the North American Division today. Many small churches are on one death or two away from dying. Absolutely, closing the doors. I can tell you of churches that I'm having to work on as a ministerial director along with other administrators and getting ready to close those doors. I got a call from another pastor a few weeks ago and said, look, We've looked at our finances. We realize we have finances enough to last one more year. And our church is slowly dying out. That is being multiplied several times over right now in a number of different churches. Why? Partially because the elders have done no planning. They have just gone on with the flow, but they're not doing anything about changing God's work. The church is a slumbering giant waiting to be awakened. The Bible plan is that everybody in the church should be doing something, but and uh, but everybody should not be doing the same thing. That's where the principle of spiritual gifts comes in. I'm not going to bog down on spiritual gifts today, except to remind you that the Bible in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 reminds us of the fact that God has given His church spiritual gifts. And that's to everybody receive some gift that they can utilize in advancing God's work. And we need to utilize that and be a part of that. Your planning should be utilizing everybody in the church in some capacity. 
Take them where they are. Don't try to force them to do something they've never done before without training and without encouragement and walking alongside with them and uh, working with them. It may be a small task, but the small task can lead to a greater task. Helping them to identify their spiritual gifts, but realizing that their spiritual gifts are not a limitation in terms of what they can do. Sometimes people think of spiritual gifts as a gift that is given, that means they don't do anything else. If the, my spiritual gift is, is, um, is evangelism, then I don't have to do anything other than evangelism. Or if my spiritual gift is managing hospitality type situations, then I don't have to give Bible studies and I don't have to share my faith. Uh, people give all kinds of excuses for not doing what God calls us all to do. We're disciples to win souls first, and then those other tools are to complement that work. So I, I don't want to bog down with that area. I've given you that information just to remind you of the fact that God has called on that, on us to help every church member do this work. Functions of church leadership, the train, yes, sir? Everybody? Everybody. How do you deal with them? The issue that comes up with, no, we don't want to have him in this. No, you know, I know some things about him, so no, no. Okay. You get, you get in the, in the, in the, uh, in the uh, selection committee, mm-hmm. and inevitably someone's name's going to come up, and no, 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 and somehow they never get included. Okay. I, I, personally, I'm a guy that wants to err on inclusion, not on exclusion. Let me, okay. let me speak to that very quickly, okay, very quickly. When I say everybody, I don't mean everybody's going to be an elder, nor do I mean that everybody is going to be selected to a position by the nominating committee. But there is something that everybody can do as long as they are faithful Seventh-day Adventist Christians. But if you've got somebody in your church who's not being faithful, you want to be careful what you give them to do because they represent God's church to the community. So you have to be careful with that. We'll talk about that more tomorrow. But the fact of the matter is everybody can do something even if it's just cleaning the church, even if it's just going out with with, uh, driving kids around who want to pass literature out. All those kinds of things that people can do, that's the kind of thing that I mean. But that's not always being selected by the nominating committee. So the nominating committee selects a few leaders, but the leaders need to be involving everybody. And that's the point that I, that I make. We'll talk more afterwards. I'll keep going. Did I get through that? Um, equip members uh, in their task. Hold regular training sessions. Do the work that needs to be done. Every church should be a training school for Christian workers, training members to accept ministry from other members. Now let me explain what I mean by that. One of the challenges that we have today is that people feel that if the pastor doesn't visit them when they're in the hospital or at home, for whatever reason, if the pastor doesn't visit them, and they're visited instead by an elder that it doesn't count. I'm not important enough in the local church, so the elder came to see me, but if it had been the head elder, the pastor would have been there to see him. Or it had been somebody else in the local church who had a lot of money, it would have been... We need to get away from that because the elders are an extension of the pastor. And when an elder comes around to visit, it's one of the pastoral staff coming to visit. We need to teach people about that. And we need to not be so selfish with our time to think that we are the ones that deserve to have the pastor. That's that, that, what, what is that? What, what is that that brings that out in us? It really is selfishness that brings that out. Now, I'm being very blunt, and I know it's on recording, and somebody's going to hold me responsible for saying that, I know. I'm only saying that to make this point. A pastor should vo- uh, visit everyone in the church that he possibly can. The pastor should visit people in the hospital every chance when he possibly can. But if an elder comes and the pastor doesn't happen to make it, they should recognize the church cared enough about them to come and minister to their needs. That's what the biblical principle is. You should plan annually. You should have goals for your church. You should say, we're 20 members today, but at the end of the year, let's pray that we have three new members. 
If you've got 50 members, you need to pray that you have 10 new members. If you, you know what I'm saying? You, you grow at your size capability with the personnel that you have, but you need to plan for growth. You need to plan for service. You need to plan to reach the community. You need to plan, plan the various activities of nurture in your church, including social activities. You need to do this work, plan annually. And by the way, that includes kind of complete your basic planning by early fall. Here's my reason for that. Most nominating committees meet in the spring and then they choose their new officers come July, right? Their new officers take place. The new officers need to do their planning. So by early fall, their planning should be in place so that they can begin to work, um, so that they can begin to work on the, on the, sorry, my phone is ringing. They, uh, they need to be able to plan for the activities of the church, and there's a master plan of evangelism. Every church should be complete by October 25 and, and do that work. Now, here's what planning involves. Number one is evaluate. Where are we? What did we do last year? How are we doing? How's attendance? How's Sabbath school going? Evaluate things that are in your church. Then, Plan for evangelism, nurture, don't forget your youth. What are you going to do to care for your facilities? What campaigns do you need? Do you need uh, 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 an outreach to the community? Do you need to teach people about stewardship, including financial responsibilities? And you need to develop a schedule for your church. What are you going to do? When are you going to do this outreach activity? When are you going to do this social activity? When are you going to have your next business meeting? And when are your board meetings going to be scheduled? All of this is involved in your planning. As elders, you're responsible to make sure that your uh, planning agenda includes the basic things that need to be done. Uh, master plan of evangelism is something that is a Michigan Conference in initiative to be done every year and turned in by October 25, and it should be reviewed and updated at each church board meeting. Every church board meeting should start by reviewing the minutes of the last meeting, the financial report, and the next item on the agenda should be the outreach of the church and the master plan of evangelism. That should be your priority. Otherwise, everything else takes charge of it, and when you get done with a year's worth of board meetings, nobody everybody ever even talked about your plans. That's not good leadership. And so those plans are there for a reason. They need to be worked through. All right, I have five minutes, and I'm halfway through. Okay? It's always better to have more to do than you have time to do. But I want to, I'm going to skip over a couple of pieces here and summarize them this way. First of all, church committees. The purpose of committees in your church is to get people working together. You don't have dictators in your church telling everybody what to do. You have committees to get together to plan and to pray and to organize so that many more people are involved in the ministry of the local church. Committees are Christians working together, counseling together and planning for that. Business meeting is one of those committees of the local church. I know that most churches who hold business meetings get, if you've got a hundred members, you get five to come out. Okay? But part of that is we've not done our work well. We're not visiting members. We're not meeting their needs. We're not connecting with them. And the church means nothing to them. They come to church on Sabbath morning to be entertained by a sermon and go home. Are you with me? So they're not part of the church and its mission to the community, so the business meeting means nothing to them. We've got to change that, and the way we do that is through prayer and personal involvement ourselves, 
And then we start sharing that burden for souls with other people. And then you call a business meeting and we say, we're going to have a business meeting because we're going to talk about our plans for reaching this community and how we're going to share Jesus and his love with the community and let them know that he's coming again soon. And everybody says, yeah, that's what I'm about. That's what this church is for. And all 100 of those members show up at that business meeting because they're going to be talking about planning and they want to be part of that. They want to plan for that organization. That's what needs to happen. Okay? The business meeting should be held quarterly. Some churches have business meetings instead of board meetings. I strongly discourage that. You should have board meetings and then you should have business meetings. Board meetings with the leaders of the church, business meetings with the, all the members of the church. Okay, I wish I could talk more about that. I don't have time for that. If you've got some questions about it, just look at the notes. It'll begin to click into to your mind and thinking about that. I talked about what needs to be on the agenda of the church board already, but that board is the monthly meeting of the local church, not just caring for the finances of the church, but especially caring for the mission of the church. If you're not caring for the mission of your church, your church has no reason to exist. Your church does not need to be there as a building. If you're not ministering to that community and sharing the love of Jesus, you don't need a building. That building is only so you can facilitate your mission. Your mission is your reason for existence, and your board should be dealing with that regularly and, uh, and going through that. Well, there's some things here about the board, pastor chairs the board, and we talked a little bit about that along the way as well. The church board's responsibility is spiritual nurture, evangelism, and maintenance of doctrinal purity, upholding Christian standards, and recommending changes in church membership. These are major responsibilities of the board. Finances and protection and care of the church and its properties, coordination of church departments, and designating special committees for specific purposes. Now I'm moving right, right along here. I'm on slide 52 and I hope you were able to figure out where in the world I just went. So stay with me here. I'm sorry that I'm kind of jumping through and rushing, uh, rushing through it. Committee members need to be participants. And that uh, there's some illustrations of the kinds of ways that some people participate. Some are initiators, some are elaborators, some challenge, some are appeasers, some are energizers. People contributed in different ways. Everybody should be able to be involved. But I would say this, as elders in your church, be careful that somebody isn't dominating that church board all the time. If it's you, stop it. If it's if somebody else, help them to learn that other people need to be able to participate in that process as well. Sometimes we think we've got to tell every story that ever happened to us at every board meeting. No, sometimes we need their times to be quiet and just let the board's business get done so that if we're not there from nine, 7 o'clock till midnight. Um, we, we need to learn how to work as individuals on a board and to work through that um, and to do some of those kinds of things. All right, I already talked about some of these things, so I'm going to keep moving ahead. The pastor and the elder are a team. Now, I'm going to go over about five minutes, so I hope you will stay with me here. They cut us back 15 minutes. I'm used to doing this in an hour and 15 minutes, and even then I'm long, so just I'll be true and tell you that. But pastors and the elders are a team working together. Pastors and elders are partners, and Paul recognized that the people in, that he worked with were part of his team. The pastor is assigned and ordained by the local conference. The elder is assigned and ordained by the local congregation. The elder's ordination, I've talked about that already. I'm going to keep going. The similarities between pastors and elders. Both are leaders over the congregation. Both coordinate the church's activities. And youth ministers who have not been ordained to the ministry should be ordained young ministers, I'm sorry, as local elders. That's just in case you get someone who comes into your church who's not been ordained. And this happens in Michigan. Make sure that they are ordained as a local elder because sometimes that slips by. And we don't always remember to check on it, to be honest with you. And if you get a new young pastor who's not an ordained minister, make sure that he's been ordained as a local elder, because that's what doesn't need to be what happens there. <coughs> Pastor's part of this team is to train, equip, and motivate elders. 
That's why I said if the elders, the pastor is not asking you to do something and not calling upon you or even training you to do something, then ask him for help. 99% of pastors will be willing to do that. That 1% out there, you need to call me about. Okay? After asking them to do it again and again, and then if they don't, you let me know. They should be calling an elders meeting regularly, and they should be providing you with resources for doing the work that you've been called upon to do. The pastor's part is to develop a curriculum for the church and uh, helping you know how to do your part with the organization, administration, growth and care, worship, preaching, visitation, and functioning committees. He's providing leadership so that you know how to do those things and being able to accomplish that. You also, the pastor's uh, responsibility is to respect you as an elder, to invite you to be part of the pastoral visitation. The pastor's responsibility is to spend time together with you, helping you to do the work. The pastor's responsibility is to support your family and to give special attention to your children and to help um, help them in their spiritual life. That is the children of your family. The elder, the pastor should be helping the elder's family to be strong. The pastor should be delegating. Pastoral stress comes as a failure to delegate responsibility to elders. Along with responsibility, pastors must share authority. If they just delegate tasks, but without the authority to you to accomplish them, that's going to be a problem. They should be communicating in the ways that are listed here. You can see it in your notes, and that's a good uh, good part of that. They should be helping to evaluate your work. You should evaluate them. They should evaluate you, and they should be evaluating the church as well, and especially how the church members are being served. The elders' part is to find time to do the work. I will tell you that on average, an elder needs to be willing to spend four hours a week in the work of being an elder. That does not include Sabbath. That does not include Sabbath. Four hours a week. If you want to, you know, that can be a little less, can be a little bit more, but unless you're retired, you probably can't do a whole lot more than that. But you should lay aside time to be able to do that work. You need to work together to maximize the pastor's strengths. Your pastor has weaknesses and strengths. Strengths and weaknesses. Maximize his strengths. Support his weaknesses. Are you with me? We always want the perfect pastor who can do everything. Then we don't need elders. All right? And that's not the way that's supposed to happen. Pastor, you're a pastor. Pastors are subject to stress and sometimes need encouragement and help. Don't be hesitant to sit down with your pastor and say, Pastor, I know you've got a lot of burdens on your shoulder right now. Let me stop and pray for you. And what can I do to help you to relieve your burden? Pastors will fall over, first of all, that you did that for them, and then they will benefit from it. How can elders give pastoral assistance to their pastor? Accept their humanity, be a loyal friend, be a minister of encouragement, be a good listener, publicly support them, publicly support them. Don't get up on Sabbath morning and tell everybody how bad the pastor is and don't do it back behind the scenes either. Support the pastor's family. Have an annual pastor's day. October is pastor's month. Write it down. October is pastor's month. Time to recognize the pastor and give them a special encouragement. Offer yourself to do some work. Resolve congregational conflicts. I wish I could talk a lot more about that. That is a huge area. We'll talk more about it on Friday. Insist on pastoral spiritual renewal time. Insist that the pastor have time to do what a pastor should be, a spiritual being. If he's doing too much of other things, that's a problem. Insist on pastoral family and recreational time. Encourage provision of pastoral anonymous counseling. Pray for them and encourage them. Did I hear some? In other words, encourage a pastor to get counseling if they need it. In other words, pastors are human beings. And pastors sometimes need support. They can call the ministerial department. And we in Michigan have a support system. They have a phone number that they can call to speak to professional counselors 
without having to come through the conference office. Okay? So support your pastors, encourage them for that, and of course pray for them, and let them know you're praying for them. Okay? Now the pastoral family time, if they're not taking time off with their family, tell them, pastors, stop it. Take a day off at least once a not not at least once a week, at least once a month. But once a week would be appropriate. Don't let them ignore their family. No kids, they still got a family. Okay? Support the pastor's children and recognize that pastor's kids are not perfect and need to be encouraged and supported. Empathize with hurting pastoral parents. Sometimes our kids go astray. All right? I'm a PK. My daughter's a PK. By grace of God, she's in the church. I'm thankful for that. Many Adventist preachers' kids are not in the church today, and I'm going to make this statement to you. It's not, it's not a generalized statement, but there are places where it's true. They're not in the church today because of the way the church has treated them. Okay? We have not cared for our preachers' kids. We've expected them to be saints when they are kids, just like everybody else. And we need to nurture their spirituality just like we would nurture the spirituality of anybody else. And our pastors sometimes need that special support. Pay attention to a new pastoral family. I've heard pastors go into a church and they said, I've been here a year, nobody's ever invited me to their house. What in the world? How does this happen today? It happens because we get too busy. I'll end with this, the counsel of Paul. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Thank you for letting me rush through today. I'll try to slow down a little bit more tomorrow. And uh, if you've got questions, we'll be willing to talk about it. Part two tomorrow, we'll take a look at a few specifics that are important to uh, your local church. Let's end with a word of prayer, please. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for these leaders that have come here to learn how to do their work better. Lord, help us not to be overwhelmed with the task, but help us to be encouraged by the fact that we are a team together to help each other. And most importantly, we're a team under you. And you've promised to help us step by step being able to do the work you've given us to accomplish. You would not call us without empowering us. As we go from this place, go with us, we pray, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org dot org.